When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. The countdown to G1 Supercard continues in both Ring of Honor and New Japan. At ROH's 17th anniversary, Matt Taven and Jay Lethal staged an epic match that set up an unexpected championship match at Madison Square Garden. The New Japan Cup is down to the semifinals as Jay White awaits the winner. We will tell you why we are surprised and a little disappointed about who has advanced to the Final Four. Speaking of disappointment, the build to the WWE Championship match at WrestleMania continues to be unsteady at best. We discuss the gauntlet match mess from SmackDown and what is next for Kofi. We also have an extended discussion with Wildcat Wrestling's Luke Hawks. Our PWG Rewind segment returns and we give you a taste of Kelsey's new series, Either Or. All that is next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. And welcome to Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Paul. I always try to come up with something snarky to say here, but I got nothing. So Why don't you just say that I sound country like you always oh, say? Yeah. <laughs> you haven't gone into the, Hi, I'm Kelsey from Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. It was kind of close to that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we're here, and we're so excited. This show is jam-packed, and I haven't been this excited for one of our lineups for our podcast in a long time we've got interviews we've got so much stuff going on we got pwg rewind my favorite segment coming back we've got a taste of your new segment that's coming up we've got ring of honor we got wwe we got new japan we got warrior wrestling you (laughs) even know what warrior wrestling people no Uh, (laughs) (laughs) probably not but if you watch the show maybe i guess you do but (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that, but much more, if you can even imagine there's more, but there is, <laughs> and we're so excited to do so. Thanks for joining us, as we really appreciate your time, but first, let's uh, tease where to find us on social media. You could check us out on Twitter, at TwoFacedPod, T-W-O-F-A-C-E-D-P-O-D, also at our website, TwoFacedPod.com, same spelling, and you could check me out on Twitter, at SuperKickingIt. If you guys are a big fan of 90s Nickelodeon, or the 90s in general, you might enjoy my Twitter. I've been putting out a lot of 90s Nick polls that are blowing up. People are loving the polls. <laughs> like, what's your favorite Nick game show that's going crazy? And all that's in preparation for my live show, which should be starting next week. It's called Kelsey Likes, all about pop culture topics and nerdy topics. The first episode that's airing next week is about 90s Nick. That's why all oh, the 90s Nick polls. So, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T on Twitter. And we want to thank our Sponsor, St. Arnold Brewing Company, coming up on a full year of supporting the show. We thank them. We also want to remind you that you can go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code KICKIT, 
open an account, help us, and uh, you can gamble on March Madness, which just tipped off this week as well. So plenty of good stuff uh, to to get you through March between the wrestling and the basketball and some gambling, and uh, we got plenty of wrestling to talk about. So with no further ado, it's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for Headlines. And we are going to start with Ring of Honor's 17th anniversary show, Kelsey. Wow, what a show. <laughs> I flipping loved it. I went on Periscope right after it was over, and I did an hour about it. Now, granted, some of that hour was me repeating points because there's always an influx of new viewers on Periscope. That's kind of how it works. People are always joining or leaving. So you repeat every now and then. But for the most part, I thought I touched on everything, and it was a really thorough review. So you guys, again, can check that out on my Twitter. But we're going to dissect it again here on this podcast right now. And I've got lots to say. You know, Taven versus Lethal, that's the first thing that sticks out to me. I'm going to circle back to an earlier match in a little while. But but let's just talk about the thing that people are talking about the most. And it seems to be what people disagree on the most, actually. The length of the Taven-Lethal match. Some people were saying, well, it's way too long. Personally, I loved the length of the match because I thought that the story they've been telling literally for months, guys, they've been doing the story for a very long time. I feel like that story warranted a long match, and it was a great payoff, although we still don't have the ending to their feud. We still don't have a resolution. They're going to fight again at Madison Square Garden. What did you think about the match and the length? Well, I mean, first of all, it took us off guard because it it just happened in the middle of the show. Like, Matt Taven came out before Lifeblood was scheduled to go against Kingdom, said, I, I've had it with this video package, I've had it, we're doing this now kind of thing. And so the match starts, and, and we'll get into some of the details of the match, which was just insane near fall and crazy spot and all kinds of stuff after, after crazy spot. But I like the way that it really wasn't brought to our attention. I mean, we... We discussed it as we're watching the match, like, wow, this is a really long match. How yeah. long have they been going? But they never alluded to it until really late. They, they, they kind of said something like, these guys have been fighting forever or whatever. And then you just get the bell out of nowhere. So I kind of thought it was a good sort of surprise that the match just ended without break, calling attention to the fact that they were coming up on the 60-minute time limit. So that's a great point, Paul. They didn't really call attention to the time limit. So we really didn't know that there was one in play, really. And it's kind of the direct opposite of what New Japan usually does. Because a lot of times when there's a time limit and it's getting closer, they'll count down to the time limit. Mm -hmm. That's what they did with, you know, if you recall in the past with Kenny Omega and Okada. But it was still entertaining. It was still nail-biting. So people don't complain about the length of Okada and Kenny. However, I will say, you know, I guess it's hard to compare. It's... Two completely different matches, two sets of wrestlers that are very different. Mm -hmm. But Jay Lethal is on the level of Okada and Omega, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. But, you know, some people argue they just don't like Taven. I do like Taven. I think his character work is really strong. And I think his wrestling delivers. He's been a steady guy for the company. And, you know, it's not a lot of flair, but it's a lot of just standard. He always delivers. I just, I think it's dependable, really, is a good word for him. And so to me, I wasn't bothered by it. And there was a lot of crazy sequences. And since we didn't really know about the time limit and weren't really aware of it right. very much, I wasn't like, oh, they're just going to a draw. Right. I never really thought that, which is funny. I mean, maybe other people did. And some people said, I liked Ring of Honor 
17, but I didn't like the length of that match, I would just take that away. I loved how they swerved it, like you mentioned, and made the match earlier, and it fit with Taven's character, mm -hmm. actually, because Taven... You know, after seeing that video package, hyping the match, which we all thought it would be later, he just couldn't stand to wait anymore. Perfect way to kind of put it in the middle of the show, because how else could you have done it at the end of the show, knowing that there was an hour left? So it was all just really, I thought it was well done. Other people might disagree, and that's okay. We could all have different opinions. As we always say on the show, it's okay to agree to disagree. Um, I just really liked it, and if you guys didn't, you know, send in your reasons why. I'd love to read them. Well, and I loved, in addition to just all the little subtleties of the match, the selling of the knee, uh, you know, Nick Aldis was on commentary selling the fact that Jay Lethal had to come out cold. So I, I think a lot of that was added to the match. And then just the character stuff where they kind of really sold the hatred for each oh, other. Yeah. You know, Jay Lethal giving him the finger. And then Taven was like, I hate you. Yeah. Yep. That was and then, my favorite part. And then later, Lethal saying F you to him. Yeah. You know, it, it, the hatred was really good, but the announcing added to it, too, because Rick Abani was going crazy. Caprice was going crazy. They were like, how much longer can this go? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you, you know, that's when we were having the discussion. And so you didn't know that they were approaching the 60 minute time limit. And, you know, when we finally got the du double uh, decision that neither guy had won. Uh, there was also a moment where, are they actually going to shake hands, like mutual respect? And we I was like, no, it would ruin the whole thing. Right. But it was great. Taven just looks at Lethal and like throws like just this lone streamer at his face. Not like really hard because you can't really throw a, like, a lone right. piece of streamer very hard. But it was just like, I'm exhausted, I'm spent, and I still hate you. That's what it, <laughs> that's what it said to me. You and, know? and you had the kingdom getting involved. So it, it really had everything in I don't know. Maybe people felt like 60 minutes was too long. I didn't feel like it dragged. Me neither. That's the thing. Was... It was really exciting and fast-paced. And like I said, the story, I think you can argue a match could be too long, but when there's a story behind it, I feel like it warranted what it was. If you had watched The Pinnacle, to me, that really added to the whole actual in-ring match. And they've met up before. That's another thing. If you've been following Ring of Honor, you know they've met up in, like, smaller, shorter matches. Mm -hmm. So, to me, their hatred has been building and building, and each one has gotten a pin on the other. And, in fact, I didn't realize this. The last time uh, when Lethal was trying to get back to the championship like he has now... He pinned Taven to even get a chance at the championship. So I found that interesting. And then, you know, Taven hasn't been pinned in a while either. So I like this because all of those things are a factor and were a factor in that match. And you actually touched on commentary. Let's do a sidebar and talk about the commentary. I think Aldis was fantastic. We've said on the show how good he is and underrated. Yeah, throughout the whole show, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, but he and... was a little heelish. Oh, yeah. No, there was no doubt he was, he was definitely playing up the, uh, you know, eat Rick Abani, you favor guys, and things like that. So he was definitely playing the heel card. And almost was, like, speaking against Lethal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Almost like they're setting up a future match Absolutely. between them. Yeah, which obviously would be tremendous as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. But speaking of setting up, obviously, after the, the match came to a conclusion, Marty Skrull comes down, picks up the belt. We now know it's going to be a triple threat at MSG at G1 Supercard. Not just a triple threat. Right. <laughs> Ladders. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of adds an extra element, makes the match even bigger. And, uh, wow, what another dimension to work with. You know, 
anytime Ring of Honor does something with ladders, I feel like it's <laughs> extra special. Yeah. Like if you think back to their ladder wars, and they're not calling this a ladder war or anything, right. but when you think back to when they have utilized ladders, it's always been really important and really crazy. And I feel like this won't fail to deliver. The guys know what building they're performing in. So just imagine all the crazy spots they're going to do because of where they are. Right. So to me, I'm looking forward to it. However, people are criticizing that it has been set in stone and officially announced. Right. But there's a show before then. So it kind of doesn't leave anything up in the air. Like, nothing's going to happen at that show in terms of the world championship changing hands. But to me, it's logical to just have it set. I don't know. Well, and we've, we've been critical. That's one thing. Kind of Ring of Honor kind of jumps ahead on things, mixed up with TV. And that kind of leads us into... A big mistake. Uh, another, yeah, mistake actually after great matching. It was a match we definitely wanted to talk about. Shane Taylor and Jeff Cobb. We'll talk about the match in a second, but they they announced that Jeff Cobb was going to take on Will Ospreay at MSG. Yeah, and to me, premature as heck to announce that during the pay-per-view. That really doesn't matter. What matters is the New Japan Cup tournament is still going on. And at that point, and Will Ospreay was still in it at that point. So to me, all believability that Ospreay could win is out the window. And a lot of people thought that he couldn't win anyway. But that just kind of sealed the deal. And to me, it was a misstep by Ring of Honor. And I know they didn't mean anything by it, but they kind of tried to, like, retract it a little bit. They took down Cobb's challenge. Because everyone was like, why are they announcing this now? What the heck? And then I saw a lot of people saying, like, that's so Ring of Honor. (laughs) And I don't like that phrase because, yeah, it might be true that they kind of jump the gun on some things and uh, do things not the best with promotion sometimes. Uh, I think that the promotion has been kind of downplayed recently with AEW popping up and everything. But if you compare Ring of Honor and their staying power with a company like Impact, I think Ring of Honor is in a much better position. And what I loved about this pay-per-view as a whole is that it showed that Ring of Honor as a company can stand on its own right now. They're building new stars. We saw so many people shine. And not only new people that they just added to the roster, but people like, we'll talk about it right now in a second, Cobb and Shane Taylor. Underrated guys, not really Cobb, but more Shane Taylor, mm-hmm. he's always kind of forgotten about, and he's awesome. Ring of is great about building up wrestlers, guys who can just go at it in the ring, who can deliver a great match. And that's what I love about Ring of Honor. And I think they've showed that they can be successful without relying solely on New Japan's roster and their partnership. Because that's a criticism that a lot of people give to Ring of Honor, that that's so Ring of Honor thing. I don't subscribe to that viewpoint. I'm really pro Ring of Honor. And I like what they're doing, and I like what they showed with this pay-per-view. Yep, me too. And that Cobb-Taylor match was great. It's funny because Cobb's a big dude. But next to Taylor, he, he actually looked kind of small. And that brutal chop exchange that they had was unbelievable. And, and then some of the stuff Shane Taylor did during the match, you loved the uh, Canadian slash Cleveland destroyer. That oh, he hit. yes. Oh, my God. For a guy of Shane Taylor's size, not only, I mean, he's done it before, but he's done it mostly to smaller guys. To see him do it with Cobb, I was like, what? It reminded me of, like, how crazy we went when we saw another two big guys going at it, Dijak and Keith Lee, which we were going to talk about, but we'll tell you why later we're not talking about it in this episode, but we will in the future. So when you see big, huge guys like that who are powerhouses, 
But the difference is they're agile, too. Super so, athletic. Yes, yeah. they bring another element to it. So that's what Cobb and Shane Taylor did as well. Not just brought the power, but brought the crazy athleticism and agility. Uh, another match that had great, uh, well, actually, before I get to that, the finish, uh, as impressive as what Shane Taylor did, how about Jeff Cobb hitting two tours of the islands on Shane Taylor? Oh, my <laughs> Unbelievable. God. And yet it took two to put Taylor away, and I like that because it still made Taylor look strong. He wasn't that weekend because it took two to put him away. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. Uh, I was starting to jump ahead there. Uh, Roosh and Bandito I thought was a fantastic match. The uh, power bomb through the table right in front of Kerry Silken, kind of <laughs> at his lap, I thought was Kerry tremendous. Kerry didn't even move. That was so funny. And they were saying, like, yeah, you should stand up, Kerry. <laughs> and then Dalton Castle was on ca- on commentary. I'm not the hugest Dalton Castle fan, but he was a maniac on commentary. He was just acting insane. It was like it was like he had had three Red Bulls or something before he, he went out there. He was crazy. That's sometimes his personality. <laughs> He's so zany and funny and Actually, he played a big part after the match when he came up and challenged Roosh. So we're obviously going to see that mm-hmm. at G1 Supercard. I yep. think that should be really good. I know you're not the biggest Castle fan, but we've seen him have great matches mm-hmm. against Absolutely. the likes of Lethal. Specifically, we loved his... I think he had two great matches against Lethal. And again, as I said, I think last week or the week before, the dude has gone through a lot. He He's committed to Ring of Honor. Uh, he's he's had to deal with a lot of injuries and yet yeah. keeps uh, moving on. All right, well, we get to the final match, and uh, Kelsey and I both have to eat a little crow. You know, we basically had said that it was going to be the Briscoes versus G.O.D. at G1 Supercard, and we were called out. Zachary called us out and said, you know, we're not going straight to G1 Supercard. Right. There's still ROH 17. They could lose the belts. Right. We could see PCO and Brody in their place. Right. And, and we it, were so sure that that was wrong. I mean, we agreed that it could happen, but the fact that they had actually set it up in New Japan during that Honor Rising tour, it seemed like a done deal, you know? And it, and it seemed like one that made sense. As much as we love PCO and Brody King, Briscoe's first GOD just seemed like it seemed like a home run, uh, yeah, slam dunk, whatever you want to say. So we get to the match the other night in Las Vegas, and lo and behold, PCO and Brody King were just insane. <laughs> like, let's talk about that match. That match freaked me out. Like, there's this one part where it looked like you pointed it out. Jay Briscoe's head, not slid, but like scraped across the apron, and the the way you could tell it actually touched the apron <laughs> was there was blood smeared because he was bleeding profusely everywhere. Right, right. Like I mean, God, Caprice was like I could smell it. <laughs> Caprice was freaking out. Well, but... Caprice was even better. Just as the match started, his exact line was, "Everyone in this ring is legitimately crazy." <laughs> yeah, I loved that comment, and it's actually true because. They didn't hold back, and they knew they had to deliver because already on the card, you had all this crazy stuff happen. You had a really long match, and you have to follow all that stuff, and we were worried that they weren't going to have time, actually. But then Ian said, no, they granted us extra time to make sure that we have time to finish the main event, which was really a relief because it was like, what, like 10.50? Yeah. And we're like, how could they have a match in 10 minutes? Right, right. Um Gosh, so much crazy stuff. I mean, I love that PCO asks his own teammate 
to chop him to get him going. That like revs him up, <laughs> yeah. gets him going. I love that. That's uh, such a great little character nuance that those moments are so important for mm-hmm. a wrestler because it, it takes it beyond good wrestling and great in-ring work and makes it great character work and endearing character work that people love. And that's why people are getting behind PCO. Right. Uh, and then poor Mark Briscoe just took a beating going through a couple tables. Do you remember me during the match? I was like, leave Mark alone. No. And I was like, the Briscoes. I was doing my Mark impression right. during the whole match, which I love to do. It's terrible. But yeah, Mark's my favorite Briscoe. And so to see him get the brunt of the punishment basically kind of sucked. I was like, no. Literally, he kept going through tables. I was like, stop driving Mark through things. Stop hurting him. Well, but man, PCO was like slammed into. Remember how they raised up the? Uh, oh yeah, the ramp. the ramp. Yeah, yeah, and he was slammed into it. Mm-hmm. And holy heck, man, he like bounced off of it. Yeah. It looked like it hurt so bad. There was like obviously there's no give to the ramp. It was just brutal seeming. Oh my god. It was a uh, it was a great brutal crazy match, and uh, PCO and Brody King get the victory. PCO. Now it is interesting. Earlier in the show, uh, Bully Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley. Came out and said, I'm the only guy that's ever performed in Madison Square Garden, which got me thinking, who on the roster? There's got to be somebody else that has that was in WWE at some point. Not thinking about PCO, and at the end of the show, they made a point of saying that PCO had been at WrestleMania 25 years ago, and here he is going with uh, Ring of Honor to G1 Supercard, which is a cool moment. Yeah, it is a cool moment, and I think it's a testament to how the company really believes in PCO and also Brody King to put them in this spot. But, you know, will they still be the title holders come G1 Supercard? Yeah. Because, I don't know, everyone was so amped for that God versus Briscoe's match. And I was amped. I was, like, freaking out about it. And yet, I don't know. Now it's going to be PCO and Brody. I'm excited about that, too. But uh, both would be great. But I just, I had my heart set on the Briscoes and everything. And I, I just want to circle back quickly to the impact comment I made. Impact has great stars, but their TV is not where it needs to be right now. And I've kind of tuned out, and I don't miss watching, which is sad to say because they've got amazing talent. Jordan Grace, Sammy Callahan, Brian Cage, so many more. But right now, Ring of Honor is building stars with a depleted roster at first, but now we're seeing that they can succeed, and I just think they're in a better place television-wise and streaming-wise and uh, all of that. And they have this big show at G1 Supercard. Yes, you could argue... They sold a lot of those tickets when people thought and assumed the Bucks would be there, but people are still going and still amped even when the Bucks aren't going to be there. So you could say that. So I just wanted to confirm what I meant by that statement earlier. So all in all, it was a good show, didn't you think? Yeah, I think it's one of my favorite Ring of Honor shows that I've seen in a long time. I got tweets from people who were at the show who said it was one of their favorite events they've ever been to, definitely in their top list for Ring of Honor shows. And that's just a lot because a lot of those people went to shows with the Bucks. Right. And some people were even tweeting with me saying that they actually like what they're seeing from Ring of Honor now more so than when the Bucks were there. I think that's a very interesting comment because it kind of shows you that for a while it is a little bit true that Ring of Honor was very concentrated on the Bullet Club and what they were doing, and that was the focal point. Mm -hmm. And so wrestlers like Shane Taylor didn't get to shine like he did in this pay-per-view when they were there, but now they can. So to me, um, yeah, it's a kind of bittersweet thing that they're gone, but they're making the best of it, and people who were there seem to think it was one of the best shows ever yeah it's one of those things it's kind of like uh tiger woods and golf 
the Young Bucks brought more eyeballs probably to Ring of Honor, just like Tiger Woods brings more eyeballs to golf. But when Tiger's not around, guys like Rory McIlroy and guys like that came to the forefront and got a chance to shine, and now are legit stars now that Tiger is back. And I think that's the same kind of analogy with some of these other guys now getting a chance to step up and show, hey, we're, we're main event players too. That is a great point. I, I really like that point. But also, two more points before we wrap this up. I, again, think it was like a five-star show in my opinion because I really, really enjoyed it. There was never a moment in the show I was like, this is boring. Even going back to something that happened after the long one-hour match between Lethal and Taven, they had that kind of intermission thing with the rapper, and then Bully Ray comes out and did perfect character work because we've been talking a lot about character uh, throughout this ROH 17 review. But Bully had great character work. He was saying, get off of this, you know, get out of my ring, stop interrupting my show. Just It all went with Bully's character. And then he seemed to challenge a specific person when he looked in the camera and said, you know where to find me, punk, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thinking it might be Flip Gordon because we got the news this week that he's been cleared and he's going to be at the Ring of Honor show in Baltimore. Yeah, seems like that would be the case. And then you also liked a little touch... Uh, that you wanted to get to about Matt Taven. Yeah, coming full circle, another great character work little aspect was Taven right at the end of the match. I forgot to mention this. So, yeah, he threw the streamer at Lethal, but then he was walking up the ramp, and he was being helped by, like, a a Ring of Honor, like, ring boy. And uh, for a second, he looked like he wanted to go back and run back in the ring. He kind of motioned, like, I'm going to go towards the ring again because Lethal was still in there. But then the the guy standing next to him kind of held him back, and then Taven kind of looked spent and just gave up. So to me, it was great character work. Like, I still want to fight you. I still hate <laughs> you this much. I'm exhausted. We've been going for an hour, but I still want to fight you. It was awesome. Yeah. So overall, your final rating? For the show or for that match? The match and the show. I, I thought the match was an A+. I really thought it, it had everything with the character work, the physicality, the, the false finishes, everything. The commentary. I, yeah, the commentary. I mean, to me, it was an A-plus match. And really, I thought it was it was definitely an A show, I thought. I thought there wasn't much. I mean, we didn't even talk about the women's match. You know, that had a little bit of a swerve to it, too. So, um, no, I thought it was really, really good. So now we're going to go and move on to New Japan Cup. And like I said, we... We kind of got that a little bit ruined, in a way, from Ring of Honor's announcement about Cobb and Osprey. So we'll talk about Osprey's match in New Japan Cup and some other matches that surprised us as well. Yeah, let's start in the round of 16. Uh, that goes back to uh, over the weekend. Night 7. Night 7 and Night 8. Uh, night 7, uh, you had uh, Taguchi and Tanahashi. The ace versus the ass is what you wrote down. <laughs> That's what they said. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and that was a... a no real surprise Tanahashi won that there because Taguchi, remember, wasn't even supposed to be in this initially. So Yeah, but I want to say something about that match. Everyone hates on Taguchi. Not hates, but they call him a comedy wrestler. And I got to agree with my friend John, big paws on a pup. He and Anthony and Warren Hayes had a great chat about these New Japan Cup matches. You could find that on Smart to Death's YouTube channel. It was fascinating. They had great points. And one of the points John made was that, you know, some people who just are are kind of new to New Japan, they don't know that Taguchi is a great wrestler. He isn't always a comedy wrestler, but people love the comedy aspect of him. And I totally agree with John, and I knew that too, because if you look back at old New Japan Pro Wrestling, you can find great matches of Taguchi 
wrestling with Finn Balor. They were in a tag team called Apollo 55, and it was awesome. And actually, um, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega as the Golden Lovers came in, and it wasn't a, a match full-time, but they had a match against Apollo 55, and that's one of my favorite tag matches. It was really, really good, and it was when they were still with uh, DDT Wrestling. Great match. You should look it up and definitely give it a shot because I really love that match. But the point is, Taguchi is more than just a comedy wrestler. He's awesome, and he showed that in this match, and at the end, the ace gave him due respect, you know, double fist bumped him, which he wanted to do that with Tanahashi at the beginning, but Tanahashi wouldn't do it. At the end, he earns the ace's respect, they both do it, and I think he really held his own and showed how great of a wrestler he really is. In fact, he uh, fist bumped red shoes at the beginning. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, the, the other match that night featured the guy who won New Japan Cup last year against the guy, I think... I, I, I may be overstating it, but I think 85% of the people, if they did a bracket, probably thought Ibushi, at the very least, to be in the finals, but more than likely was going to win the whole thing. And lo and behold, Zack Sabre Jr. beat him. Yeah. I was surprised, but I thought that could be a possibility, especially because you know people were making a big deal. Another Ring of Honor mishap, kind of. They have been tweeting out like this poster of Madison Square Garden, and uh, it says G1 Supercard, and it's got, like, Okada. He's, like, the only person on the poster. <laughs> so it almost seems like they're trying to indicate that Okada's going to win. So some people picked Okada because they just think, right. how are they going to go to a U.S. show in such a big venue and Okada's not going to be involved in the main event? Because he's kind of, like, the new, besides Jay White, of course, but he's really the guy. Mm -hmm. Jay White is, like, kind of coming into his own, but he's not the guy yet. Technically, yes, he's the champ, but Okada had one of the greatest IWGP heavyweight championship runs ever. I mean, the length he held the belt, and he's over in America. And then you've got, you know, you've got an American guy versus a a homeboy, a Japanese star for the actual promotion. That way it's diverse instead of just two American stars, which I think would be a mistake. So to me, there was always that question, if it's not Ibushi, it could always be Okada. Yeah, uh, I guess it brings up the question, will Ibushi be on the G1 Supercard show? You would still think he would be, but in what capacity will he be in it? That'll be interesting to see. It is interesting to see. And also, I wasn't upset that this match basically busted my bracket. <laughs> I was like, I love Zack Sabre Jr. This yeah. is great. And actually, it makes his win last year mean a lot. You know, winning isn't a small thing. Because if the champion from last year can go this far against someone who is so heavily favored, that says a lot, I think. But also, I was really, really excited about the prospect of Suzuki versus Zack Sabre Jr. on the same side of the bracket if they both would have gone forward, which I thought would happen. We'll talk about what <laughs> did actually happen instead later in a little while. But yeah, I, I was later disappointed. We'll talk <laughs> about that. But at the time, I was like, yeah, we could get that match, maybe. Right. And um, other people had Sonata winning, like I said, uh, that great smart to death analysis. A lot of them picked Sonata. Yeah. I did not. I well, picked Suzuki. Well, then let's just ju jump ahead then to Night 8. And Sonata does beat Suzuki, much to our chagrin, because we were hoping. We're, I mean, look, I, I, there were three. I mean, I, I, I'm fine with Okada if he wins it, but to me, I wanted to see either Ibushi, Suzuki, or Osprey against Jay White. That was me too. That's what I was hoping for. Now I'm not going to be disappointed if it's Okada for sure, because it certainly feels like there's unfinished business there, especially because their match wasn't that long at, at Wrestle Kingdom. 
Sonata beating Suzuki was a little bit of a disappointment for me. I, I get they want to push Sonata because they've kind of talked about maybe Sonata and, and Evil doing more single stuff now that yeah. they don't have the belts. Right. So, and and I like Sonata. Let's just mm. clarify that. I really like Sonata. He's obviously a I don't great... like his beard. I don't like his beard. He looks like a flipping lion, man. Um, it's ridiculous. He might as well just be Simba uh, being held up on Pride Rock. Okay? It's, it's ridiculous. I could just imagine somebody photoshopping his head onto Simba's body. It's absurd, really. And it was dripping with a ton of sweat during the Suzuki match. Oh, yeah. They were both spent, but I loved the match. The match, to me, much like most of Ring of Honor's pay-per-view, I thought it was an A+. So I really, really thought they delivered, and I do like Sonata. I just think that as like an exciting final few people left in the tournament, he wasn't my pick to be very exciting going and to really be believable. Suzuki is super believable to be able to win the New Japan Cup. Why? Because he's so over in America. Whenever he comes here for any show, people go crazy. People love singing Kazani Nare. There's so many great things about Suzuki. And so to me, to have him lose, it's like you could have really suspended disbelief to have him go further and further, especially if he had wind up in the finals. Well, maybe I'm biased though. I, <laughs> I don't know. It is funny. I, I you just talked about people singing Kazani Nere. Mm-hmm. I thought about it the other day. You know, there's that that website where people don't know the words to songs. Yeah. I, I don't know why I thought this. I thought that if people heard that and didn't know what she was saying, I, it was. It, is she singing Case of Neat Berets? <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. What made you think of I that? I don't know. Maybe because thought... you hear it all the time. Yeah. It's my alarm. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure you're sick could, of it. Could be. I do want to credit Chris Charlton on a great line about Suzuki. His second favorite thing is getting beat up. His first favorite thing is beating people up. Wonderful line. We wrote that down. I was like, you have to write that down because I loved it. And it perfectly sums up Suzuki. Also, Suzuki legit slugged a young lion. Oh, and yeah. it was awesome. Oh, yeah. He like looked like he didn't hold back. It didn't look like it was a a fake punch at all. It was crazy. So I have nothing against Sonata, but my problem with Sonata winning is it sets up a quarterfinal between Sonata and Colt Cabana, which is not the most exciting quarterfinal for me. Uh, And we'll talk about what happened in that match uh, shortly. But uh, the Colt Cabana-Yanu match was what you'd expect, a bunch of... uh, goofiness and fun stuff and and Colt gets out with the victory I loved the match I know you because did. to me it was wrestling comedy done to perfection literally you can't do it any better than that because it wasn't reliant on overly absurd things it played in again I'm gonna kind of keep this theme going it played into their character work Things that they always do. Things that their characters are known for doing. Like, you know, obviously Colt knows Yanu loves to undo the turnbuckle covers. So he ends up using the tape that Yanu was trying to use against Colt. He uses that very tape against Yanu and tapes the turnbuckle cover on. And so when Yanu goes to take it off, he can't get it off. <laughs> like, to me, that is perfect comedy. And, you know, I, I got to shout out smart to death again because they said it was great timing like comedic timing and it really was there was funny stuff and you know me i'm not big on the comedy wrestling <laughs> yeah i mean i know you're, you're always really skeptical as, and you used to like really dislike yanu and now <laughs> i really love him like he's one of my favorites now it's it's so weird to say but i, I hate being like oh man colt's going forward because i love colt he's one of my right. favorites as well yeah and i keep saying that 
they're one of my favorites. I keep saying that about so many people, but all these guys are so talented and they all kind of are favorites in a way. But Colt going forward, like you said, it's not like that exciting against Sonata. Personally, like even Colt against Suzuki to me would be fun right. and different. But to me, like it's going to be a very strange clash of styles for Sonata and Colt. Because at least with Colt and Suzuki, Suzuki would do some evil stuff. Right. And there would be some kind of like sly evil comedy. I know that sounds weird as a description, but I know that they do something unique right. with interaction between the two of them. And Colt would play up like Suzuki's evilness probably. It just, there's a lot they could have done. Yeah, or Yano and Suzuki because they've had history. But lots of history, but, and that's how I thought it was going to be. That's what I predicted in my brackets, but it didn't come true. But it is Colton Sonata, and we'll talk about that match in just a second. But let's move now to the first night of quarterfinal action, and it was uh, Yoshihashi versus Ishi, and uh, another really good showing by Yoshihashi. I thought. Yeah, I gotta say, everyone was saying Yoshihashi has no chance, and that might be true because who's the bigger draw? And who really is more believable to go right. farther? Ishii. But they even said on commentary that Yoshihashi was showing a more aggressive side and that Yoshihashi has nothing to feel bad about after that performance against Ishii. He looked really, really good. But if he uses this loss to learn in storyline, they were saying, then maybe he can improve and keep this streak alive, keep this new attitude and new kind of persona alive where he's more aggressive and maybe this means he'll win more eventually well well, and you think ishii is such a a physical specimen yet it's yoshihashi that opens ishii up as opposed to the other way around with the uh brutal uh chest chops uh, early in the match but showing how aggressive like you just mentioned ishii actually is he was giving some brutal forearms and chops when yoshihashi was stuck in the corner Mm -hmm. he was just wailing on him oh my god it was chop forearm chop forearm and like the last three or four forearms they connected pretty well (laughs) they looked really brutal (laughs) well and then the other part of it uh was the the chop exchange which has been a subject of some discussion in the past that why would you just stand there and take it There's people who I follow on Twitter and vice versa. I saw them tweet out, like, you know, I can't really buy in fully to the chop exchange. Why would you invite someone to hit you and just let them do it in the middle of the ring? I'm a new New Japan fan, they said. This was Matt Kuhn. And I, like, commented and said why I believe that it's a good thing and why you can suspend your disbelief and believe in it. And I'll get to that, but another person who kind of had the same mentality, was J.R. or mm-hmm. Barnett, I can't remember which one, during the commentary for one of the past Access shows, the Access broadcasts of a New Japan show. They kind of basically said the same thing. That's not believable to me. Well, here's how I explain it, and I would like to get your viewpoint on it after as well. I think it's all about character. Again, when you've got somebody who's known for being extra brutal and for wrestling in a really intense way like Ishii, Then, and Suzuki, too, is another person who's known for that. Then, when you're having that exchange in the middle of the ring, the other wrestler wants to participate in the exchange to prove that they can go toe-to-toe with this brutal wrestler. And it's almost like a feat of strength. It's like uh, a thing of honor as well. And it shows that they can go toe-to-toe with someone who's known for wrestling that style. And so it makes them look even more special and like they can go, you know, with one of the greats of that particular style what do you think about it yeah i think it's uh i want to show you how tough i am so give me your best shot and i'm going to give you my best shot and we'll see who's standing at the end yeah i love it that's a perfect very simple summary of it and i think that's a great way to explain it 
So uh, Ishii ends up getting the victory there and would move on to the semifinals, and he would face either Will Ospreay or Okada. And, uh, you know, either way, you, you were going to have a, a semifinal with Chaos members because two Chaos members in Ishii and uh, Yoshihashi, two Chaos members in Osprey and Okada. And you saw the respect between Okada and Osprey at the end of the match, but you could kind of even sense it with uh, just little nods, like when uh, Osprey does the kip up and, and uh, Okada kind of looks at him and smiles and it's like, it was kind of like one of those, yeah, I see what you're doing there, Will. All right, I got you. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was like mutual <laughs> respect, but also like a smirk. Like, I like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I like having this match with you. At least that's what it said to me. That's the way it felt to me. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. And just, again, another little character moment, another little touch in the match that really adds a lot to it, I think. It goes beyond just the in-ring work. I'm a really big fan. If you've listened to us for a while, you know I'm really, really high on those type of moments. And I think it makes matches easily for me. Let's touch more on the actual length of the match because I was surprised it was a good match, but it felt short, especially coming after Ishii versus Yoshihashi, which to me mm-hmm. was surprisingly long. Yeah. Um and I don't know if it was just my perception. I could be totally wrong and just misjudging it because I don't have an actual time for the Osprey Okada match, but Yoshihashi Ishii went twenty minutes. Right. And it didn't feel like that Osprey match was twenty minutes. No. I'm very surprised about that. I will say I think they could have gone longer. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I mean you got two of two of the bona fide stars in all of wrestling. Uh certainly felt like it could have gone longer, uh but in the end it didn't but what they packed in was pretty darn good. It was good, but let me ask you this and put you on the spot. Was there any moment you suspended your disbelief and thought that Osprey could win? Because there's times where I'm like, he's going to win right here. Oh, my God, he's going to defy what I thought was going to happen. In this match, I didn't feel like that. Uh, I was hopeful <laughs> because I had Osprey going all the way to the finals. <laughs> I know, but there was never a point in the match where I was like, oh, my God, he's actually going to do it. No, no, I mean, there was that one sequence towards the end where they had the couple great reversals, and you're like, all right. It really felt like, all right, whoever gets the last reversal is going to win it. Obviously, Okada, you know, they, it was a reversal out of the Rainmaker. Then Okada reversed out of the Stormbreaker. And then uh, Okada hit the Tombstone and the Rainmaker to put it away. But, yeah, you're right. I, I There was never really a sense that Osprey was going to win that match. Yeah, and, again, that harkens back to the misstep by Ring of Honor with announcing that Cobb-Osprey match. Most people didn't think Osprey was going to win regardless of that announcement, but it just didn't help things, I think. You know, there could have been people who invested in the Osprey-Okada match a little more if they hadn't heard that announcement by Ring of Honor. But regardless of that, I really did enjoy the match overall, and something else I enjoyed of Night 9 and then Night 10 was commentary yes i'm a big fan of excalibur if you guys have listened to us you know that i've talked about how i wanted him to be the aew commentator he's my favorite because he does the commentary for pwg which we'll talk about in our second segment and he's been randomly doing some new japan shows and i love that so i saw on his twitter a couple of days ago he was tweeting you know in different places in japan and i was like oh my god is he going to do the commentary for some of the new japan cup sure enough night nine he pops up and i know i might get heat by saying this but um i like chris a lot i think he's super smart i think he adds a lot of great tidbits and he knows new japan almost better than anybody in the history and even that line that we just quoted a few minutes ago about suzuki so he he's definitely 
good on the broadcast. He is good, if not even great. People love him with Kevin Kelly. But I got to say, I prefer Excalibur Mm -hmm. with Kevin Kelly. And, of course, I love Callus and Kelly, too, as well, and and Rocky, too. Specifically, I think something that Excalibur has that not everyone does is a great broadcasting voice. And I say that in quotes. That's subjective, I know. But he's got really a great voice that sounds like it's made to be a commentator. Just really professional sounding. And I love how, even though they both were kind of doing play-by-play, I feel like they never stepped on each other, and they kind of weaved in and out you know, back and forth really perfectly. I loved it. And it speaks to Excalibur more than anything because he flows in and out without hijacking the broadcast. And we certainly saw cases of that this weekend, even in broadcasts where, you know, somebody (laughs) kind of hijacks the broadcast, but he does it so well. And we saw it even in the, in the all in show where he worked in with Rick Avani, you know, he, he, yeah, he knows where, I mean, for not working with these guys, he flows in so well without stepping all over people and stuff. It's really impressive. And I think it's cool that he does help with the play-by-play because he's so fast at calling the action. And then Kelly will add in more action afterwards. So, But they both have tidbits as well. So it's not just all play-by-play. It's, it's still those good little extra bits of information that you're looking for that Chris a lot of times does bring. But Excalibur, I just love the, the tone of his voice. And again, I might be biased because I love PWG, but he is a world-class commentator and i want to see more of him doing new japan shows because to me it's wonderful excalibur on the call along with rocky romero and kevin kelly on night two of the quarterfinals and can't say i was overly excited about either match really kelsey i mean they, they were okay but you know sonata cabana had some humorous moments i guess and the other match between tanahashi and zsj I don't know, it just didn't bring a lot of energy for me. I kind of have the same feeling as you, to be honest, and I know we might get some heat for this, and it's okay to agree to disagree, as I always say. You don't say. As I always say. But um, specifically, people are loving that Sonata's getting this push into the tournament and stuff, and as I said a few minutes ago, I love Sonata as a wrestler. I just don't think in this tournament the story really fits. It's not as exciting as what could have been. Like, let's say Suzuki would have faced Cabana. To me, I think that would have been a little more entertaining. They could have done some stuff, as I referenced a little while ago, Cabana running away, scared, you know, scared as heck. Suzuki is enough to intimidate anybody, and Cabana could have played that up. And I just think their chemistry, it could still have been comedic, but their chemistry probably would have been better, I that's just my opinion. Yeah, Cabana actually had a couple funny moments during the match, which, by the way, this was the first time they said in the broadcast that they'd even ever been on the same show, much less f- fought against each each other, which was pretty impressive. Uh, I like the one spot where Cabana locks up a hold and gives a thumbs up to the crowd on each side, like, hey, I'm doing pretty good here, huh? I liked when he rolled really slow out the ring. I'm sure you didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, no, it was okay. I like that Because it was part. a reference to what he had done earlier in the tournament, I guess, against Yanu, I guess. Yes, and I just liked that a lot. He was just going so slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the submission, Cabana was holding on to Sonata's hair. Red Shoes slaps away his hand, and Colt taps out, and as he goes by the broadcast crew, he apologizes for tapping out. I like that. He looked really sad. He was really playing up the whole disappointment angle, and I thought that fit because, you know, they were trying to say on commentary how inspiring his story was, and they were talking about that guy who passed away that Excalibur was wearing the shirt of, and that they were, he was wearing that shirt to inspire Colt. So I think him apologizing kind of fit with that mood and with that he 
felt a little disappointed he didn't go further and kind of succeed in the dreams that people had for him and that he had for himself. But I still think he did really well in this tournament overall. I mean, heck, we didn't think he'd get as far as he did. And I'm glad he got that far because it, it put a good highlight on Cabana. And you know I like him. Well, yeah, and of course they were funny and saying he was a 17-year overnight success. So <laughs> yes. uh, good showing by Colt Cabana in the New Japan Cup. In the other match, ZSJ taking on Tanahashi. I, I mentioned the commentators, and they actually had a couple of uh, good – Quotes during this match, Kevin Kelly saying that ZSJ was the best tournament wrestler he's ever seen. Of course, ZSJ's only two wins over Tanahashi had come in tournaments. And, of course, ZSJ was the defending New Japan Cup champion. And then as the match went along, Excalibur said he ZSJ kicked Tanahashi so hard he hurt his own foot. But despite all that, Kelsey... Tanahashi is the one that is advancing to the semifinals. Yeah, I think the story was, you know, basically once that foot got hurt, and the leg as well. Tanahashi started taking advantage. The dragon screw. Then there was a couple sequences after that. Really working over the leg more and more. And that was the downfall of my boy ZSJ. <laughs> I was hoping if we weren't going to have Suzuki, we'd at least have ZSJ in the semifinals. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so, I like Tanahashi, guys. Don't, like, you know, don't hate me for saying this. It's just, as a tournament... Booking-wise, story-wise, for me personally, I just thought there could have been a lot more intrigue and storytelling. You know, Tanahashi, it's the expected thing for him to go far. And uh, I think it would have been unexpected to let ZSJ go further and almost, like, question if he could repeat. To me, that would be more entertaining Hey, my I, personal taste. I was rooting for the young lion against Tanahashi in the first match. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was hoping for uh, surprises way back then. So, all right, our semifinals are set for Saturday. Let's uh, give a couple quick predictions. Okada versus Ishii and Sonata versus Tanahashi. Who you got? Because uh, our brackets don't matter anymore. <laughs> I guess I have... Okada. I want to be different and say Ishii and then be super surprised if it happened and really pumped. But I think the same old, same old is going to go. And on that side, I think it'll be Okada. And on the other side? <sighs> um, I guess Sonata. I think they're going to really go all the way and give him a big push. I guess Sonata. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with Okada and Tanahashi. And uh, they've been p teaming up together a lot of late uh remember they even paired with jay lethal on the honor rising tour it seemed like they were having a, uh, an entertaining time together so maybe it'll be interesting if they end up squaring off in the finals heat up their old rivalry yeah, again exactly. yeah i exactly. like that idea actually i like your booking much better than mine and, mine are just predictions not really bookings but there you go and then uh, who you got winning it now i mean who who okada. faces jay white you think it's okada because of the draw he is in u.s shows so to me, it's got to be Okada. It could be Tanahashi. That's plausible. But to me, I still think Okada is really, really over here, and people just love him. It would be smart, but predictable, and I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, too. I think, again, what I, I said earlier in the podcast, Okada uh, gets a chance at Jay White and a little redemption for what happened at Wrestle Kingdom 13, unless they think that's happening too close together, and then... You know, then Tanahashi and, and Jay White and, you know, a rematch there. But See, this is why I'm upset with this whole booking because we've already seen Tanahashi, Jay White. We've already seen, like, Okada, Jay White. I wanted to see Suzuki, Jay White again because, especially on commentary, they were playing up that, you know, 
that's one of the only people who's already beaten Jay White. And that would have been a story right there. So here I am lamenting about Suzuki, but uh, I'm going to stop lamenting and just move on with my life. And we'll, we'll move on with the podcast now. So we will look forward to the semifinals on Saturday and the finals on Sunday. Unfortunately, no Will Ospreay, no Suzuki, but uh, they are the subject of your new show called Either Or, and we're going to give you a little taste of that right now. Tell everybody what Either Or is and what it will be like. So Either Or was my idea of forcing myself to make decisions. I hate making choices. I hate picking out where to eat, picking out what shirt to wear, literally any kind of choice, even what to watch. Like, you're like, what do you want to watch? I don't know. Just pick something, because if I try to pick, it'll take me yeah. hours. So this is a fun way of getting me to choose between things I love. And for the first episode, which I'm planning on debuting on uh, next Monday, which should be on Periscope, I'm trying to plan it to be done during the middle of the day, during lunchtime, so it doesn't conflict with anybody who's watching Raw, right. let's say. I think during the middle of the day, it's good, and if you can't watch it, then you could watch it later. So the premise is... For this first one, I have to choose either Osprey or Suzuki. I'm not saying which one's a better wrestler. I just have to choose one or the other. I can't say I love both. I have to almost like choose a favorite. Right. Got to vote one off the island. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying right now, who is my favorite out of the two? That's kind of what I'm basing it on. It's all personal preference. It's subjective. And I actually put it out in the public, and I gave them the chance on my Twitter to vote. And the, the results are surprising. I'll get to that during my live video, and lots of people commented on the reasoning behind their vote, and I loved it all. I loved reading everyone's answers, really, really in-depth stuff, but um, you'll have to see who I pick. It's torture! <laughs> They're my favorites. It's so torture but to like, pick one. But like you said, you got a ton of great feedback, and it's going to be an awesome first episode of Either Or on Monday. Yep. Looking forward to it. Well, we always say we're not just the top promotions. We're not just talking WWE. We try to cover... The gamut, right? Right. Of wrestling. Well, we did that again this weekend. Uh, we bought the Warrior Wrestling 4 show, which uh, took place in Chicago, Chicago Heights specifically. And it was on the High Spots Network. And uh, it was a decent show. I, I mean, there was certain things, you know, right off the bat, the, the building was so dark, especially when the matches would start because whatever was on the stage would shut down and it just was so dark. You couldn't see stuff, you know, on the side of the ring out on the floor. That was to me, one of the, the hard parts about watching that show, but uh, there was some fun stuff in there. And, and I thought, you know, early on the, uh, the women's match is getting going and Jessica Havoc comes out and then OVE comes out and then Austin Aries, which they have legitimate heat, Sammy Callahan, Austin Aries, and Aries comes out and calls out Sammy Callahan. That part was awkward. <laughs> yeah. It almost felt real. And I don't know if it is real, but if it wasn't, if it was a work, I don't know. It's like, what is the end goal? I guess they're going to have a match eventually, but it just, it seemed like Aries saying, like, you're taking up everybody's time. Get to the back. You know, you're not going to take up my time. It just seemed that that was really out of place. <laughs> then Sammy throws something at the, uh, like, the principal guy who books the shows. Right. That seemed real, too. Right. So I was like, I don't know. I don't think this is a work. Right. Like, to me, I was questioning everything. But that's what great wrestling does and great feuds can do. But you never know. I really don't know what the true answer is. Um, I want to circle back to the women's match. I thought it was really great because we got to see um, – 
a spotlight on two AEW mm-hmm. women wrestlers who are right. going to be a big part of their roster. Kylie Ray and Britt Baker. We've seen Britt Baker in All In, but I hadn't seen much of Ray. I really liked their match together. I thought it was great. Some things I didn't like, like you said, the lighting, some of the aspects of production, I agree with you on that. Um, they changed a match. I don't uh, even they, remember they, what it they was. They just changed the lineup on, on a match uh, because somebody had travel issues or something. Ethan like, Page, I yeah. believe. So, uh, but... Yeah, going back to what you said about that women's match, they they set up the whole AEW thing too because Callahan said after Jessica Havoc came out, let's get that AEW trash out of the ring. Yeah. So uh, setting up something, it seems like all of it. It all seems to be setting up something. Callahan versus Aries. Maybe AEW and well, we saw the Impact whole main, working together. The whole main <laughs> event was kind of like Impact versus AEW, guys. It was SCU versus OVE. Yeah. Two distinct companies there. So that was interesting, and that's why we bought the show, we should mention. Right. Because we really wanted to see that match. And a few of our Twitter followers were actually at the match, and they tweeted me how much they loved it in person. And I will say, if you guys think we're being a little harsh... I understand. Being at a show is a completely different experience a lot of right. times than watching it at home. Oh, we would have been going crazy at that show, I Oh, think. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we would have loved it, especially OVE versus SEU. If we were there, like, kind of close up, I think I would have flipped out and just... <laughs> I love Sammy Callahan. He's one of my favorites. I say that so much. Oh, my God. I should stop saying that. But literally, I have a ton of favorites. I can't help it. But I think I would have liked it a lot better, the whole show in general, had we been there in person. So I don't want to take anything away from those people and their experiences because they were super excited to tell me about it. And, you know, I'm glad they had a great time. I really am. But there was just some things that were hard to handle on the broadcast specifically. It was just hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But... So, certainly some fun stuff. Great wrestling, yeah. some some of the matches. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the Fatal 4-Way match where you had the three members of the Rascals basically going against Brian Cage. That was awesome. And you oh. were impressed with Congo Kong. Oh, yeah, yeah, earlier on. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. He he has not shown that, kind. Of, at least when we were watching Impact regularly, never got to see him show that kind of athleticism. I think they should show that more, and I think it's probably... I'm sure people backstage saying you're a big guy, you're supposed to be like a powerhouse, you don't want to give away that you can fly, uh, because then you're doing that all the time, and it doesn't go with you know, your powerhouse kind of persona. I know Callis has preached that mindset before on his podcast, he always talks about Brian Cage and how Brian Cage should uh, do the flying sparingly. Right. So I feel like, I'm not saying he's the reason Congo Khan doesn't, you know, do anything crazy. I'm just saying maybe that's like the mindset that bigger guys should kind of be more ground and pound and should do the flying. They can do it, but just do it less to make it more special, which that mindset, there, there's a reasoning behind that. I don't completely disagree, but it's nice to see them go all out and do crazy things once in a while, though. I kind of enjoy it. And I liked Congo Kong in this match. It was surprising. And it might have been the biggest pop of the show at that point. When the crowd saw him do that, right. they went crazy. Yeah, yeah. Vaulting himself over the rope, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, the match right after that had Sammy Guevara versus DJZ. Uh, DJZ looked sp- suspiciously like Mustafa Ali with the light gear, and it turns out he works with the same person. They're yeah. both in Chicago. Uh, Guevara, great match. He did the uh, the Spanish fly off the top rope, which I thought was awesome. He is a... a, a a talent to keep an eye on, 
and we're going to highlight him a lot more when we get to uh, our PWG Rewind here in a few minutes. Yeah, he had been doing a lot of great things in PWG over the past couple of months, and even like up until last year, I think. It goes that far back, but uh, we're going to highlight some of that, and we had a lot of fun taking notes on his matches, because a lot of high-flying with him. Should we move on to WWE? Sure. <laughs> uh, do we have to? That's the worst thing we're going to talk about. Not because the WrestleMania card isn't stacked, because we talked about it. You mentioned it. It's coming together nicely. The card is, but, but the storytelling oh, is not. So bad. So bad. Well, let's start on Raw. Uh, announced that Baron Corbin is going to be Kurt Angle's last opponent. I get why, because you, you want to have Kurt Angle beat Corbin. I think everybody's going to go crazy. But the WWE Universe is not happy about it. Supposedly, Kurt Angle's not overly happy about it. I think he'd rather face a John Cena or somebody like that. Some other legend, I think, is probably the direction he he wants to go. Baron Corbin, as much as I think he's got some talent, that's not going to excite anybody. The person we're interviewing next week, Mark, he actually told me that he would have loved to have seen Jason Jordan. I would have been really happy with Sheldon Benjamin versus Kurt Angle because there was a story there, and I think we mentioned this last week. You know, they used to have a storyline together back when Sheldon was in WWE the first time around. So that would have brought it all full circle. He's playing more of a heel now, and it would have been cool if he kind of beat Angle in a heelish way. Yeah, it wouldn't be a feel-good moment, but it'd be great for Angle to put over a younger guy and to, like, make somebody, you know, a lot of legends do the job on the way out, kind of. That's the, the phrase they always right. say, doing the job on the way out. But um, I don't know if this Baron thing is actually going to happen or if it's a swerve. Like, at the last minute, they'll change it. Well, That's they're doing a lot of last-minute things, it seems like, when yeah. it comes to WrestleMania. Uh, Who knows? But if it stays this way, I'm not happy with it. Uh, it seems like, as we talked about last week, they're setting up a uh, triple threat uh, for the women's tag team uh, belt with Nia and Tamina versus Beth and Natty versus Sasha and ba uh, Bailey. I would have been happy with just... <laughs> I said this last week, too. I would have just been happy with just Sasha and Bailey versus Beth Phoenix and Natalia because the, the talent is insane. But, yeah, I know they don't want to leave Nia off the card, and that makes sense, but why couldn't Nia just be Asuka's challenger? I would have liked that. And it would have made sense, and it would have elevated... Asuka's match because right now Asuka feels like a big afterthought and I know we're keeping that theme every week in our podcast but it has to be said and it's warranted that we say that because uh, how can you watch what's happening in WWE and not think that Asuka's not being utilized right. to the fullest she's almost being forgotten as I said a, a minute ago Ron it's a shame Ronda Rousey's heel work continued and <laughs> this week she got her husband involved beating up security and uh, <laughs> I love her Standing next to her husband, yelling at security, I dare any of you to touch me. <laughs> that was really intense. Some people hate her heel work. I love it, though. It shows a different side of her. Moving on quickly to SmackDown, I thought Miz's promo at the beginning of the show was really good. Kind of felt like a heartfelt kind of, you know, I, I work my butt off kind of thing, uh, which he has. He, we've talked about that in the past. He's a guy that's rarely injured and has been there throughout. Uh Rey Mysterio versus Samoa Joe has been announced at WrestleMania. We kind of speculated on that. I think that's going to be phenomenal to watch the, the contrast of uh, sizes, although both are very athletic. <laughs> we know that both guys can really pull out all the stops and deliver, but some people are disappointed that it's not Andrade versus Mysterio again on a bigger stage. 
especially because they built right. that rivalry up so much, and now it's going to be Joe and Mysterio. I'm happy with the match because I like the guys in the match, but I can see that being a valid criticism, though. And I understand if anyone feels that way about Andrade and Mysterio. But to me, personally, I'm looking forward to seeing how Joe and Mysterio work together on a big, big stage. Especially because I believe it's Joe's first WrestleMania match. Because he's been hurt in previous Manias. So this time he gets to not only be on the Mania card, but have a title and defend it on the card. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of powerful. Against a a legend in Rey Mysterio should be a great match. All right, the story of the week in WWE was the gauntlet match for Kofi to get into WrestleMania. I thought the gauntlet match was tremendous. I thought it was really good. They've been doing good gauntlet matches for like the last few months. They've delivered. Now I'm worried they're going to overuse it because now they they know people. They need to keep it as kind of a special thing. I'm worried that they're going to overuse that. But Kofi gets all the way through. Beats all five, sustains a beating at the hands of Rowan, goes through a table. They didn't clear the monitors off, I noticed, when yeah. when Kofi went through. And then Vince comes out and says, all right, you've got to beat one more guy. You've got to beat Daniel Bryan. And this makes no sense. <laughs> one, they've already met up. Right. Now they're meeting up again. And if Kofi does get added in some funky way, some stupid way. Which he will. Of course he will. <laughs> If they know what they're doing, he'll right. be in that match. But anyway, uh, so they're going to meet again right. at Mania then. And so they're meeting so many times, it's lessening it's, the impact it, of it. I don't get Vince's fascination. I say Vince. I mean, it's WWE as a whole, but we know Vince is a driving factor. The fascination with having these people meet multiple times, you know, sometimes in inconsequential matches. You even mentioned it. The Iconics getting over on Bailey and, and Boss on Thursday in a non-title match well, for what reason? What yeah. was the deal? Yeah. I thought they were going to SmackDown to defend their titles. I right. thought they were just defending across brands, but they're there just to have a match. Right. And, you know, between brands yeah. without it being, like, a title match. It was odd. Yeah. It was very odd. But the, uh, Vince seems to have this fascination with that and have these matches happen a million times. And I, I, I just don't get it because, like you said, how many times have Daniel Bryan – and Kofi had matches. Now, it's not uncommon leading to a WrestleMania or a pay-per-view to have them square off in the ring, have a face-off at the contract signing, all that stuff. Interactions, Yes, yeah. but to have match after match, I mean, what new are they going to do? I'm sure that Kofi will pull out some new things if, indeed, he is in WrestleMania. But what I just don't get the point of it. And, look, I get it's kind of the I- irony is – you know, they're using Daniel Bryan to screw over Kofi and, and hold him down like Bryan was the held down man five years ago at WrestleMania here in New Orleans. But it's just not working. I mean, there's there would have been nothing wrong with having the gauntlet match, Kofi win, celebrate, and Daniel Bryan come out and attack him or something. I know. That would have been so much better. And if they end up not only putting Kofi against Bryan, what if they make it a triple threat or something. To me, that'd be a huge mistake. Yeah. Huge. Especially since they already seem to have too many of those already. They do. And Brian and Kofi one-on-one with Kofi winning would be one of the most feel-good moments ever. Well, it it would elicit roars at MetLife Stadium that the Giants and Jets haven't heard in in recent years. That's for sure. What a great point. (laughs) What a great analogy. Well, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, 
that uh, wraps up a pretty loaded first block, but we are far from being done. We got a lot to get to in the second block. So uh, coming up, we will have an in-depth interview with Wildcat Sports owner and promoter Luke Hawks. He comments on the wrestling scene in Louisiana and much more. And we have our PWG Rewind segment where we'll look back at new AEW signee Sammy Guevara and some of his matches from PWG. St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great, full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or a smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So we really enjoy, when we can, going to Wildcat Wrestling Shows. Uh, it's our local promotion here in New Orleans, and we don't get to go as much as we like because sometimes we work on the weekends, but when we do go, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's kind of cool that there's been a lot of prominent wrestlers who have come through Wildcat and who have either done a few guest appearances and wrestled a few matches, special matches here and there, and some people who have wrestled a lot with Wildcat. One of the wrestlers who have wrestled quite a bit with them has been somebody we just talked about in our first segment, Shane Taylor. We talked about how underrated he is, how great. He was actually Wildcat champion for a while, and he wrestled a lot with them when I was first getting into, into wrestling around 2013. Also some other prominent names. I know Matt Hardy's done some things with them. Sandman, Stevie Ray, Stevie Richards has been a champion for Wildcat. And then we also, you and I personally saw some great Attitude Era stars yeah, recently. Billy Gunn has been there. Bob Holly's been there. Uh, yeah, they, they bring in a lot of, uh, of, of recognizable people. Uh, Hurricane Helms, before he, he got back into you know prominence again. Uh, it, it really is a good promotion, and they put on good shows, and they... Just put on a great show last week in a different kind of venue. You, normally they're in kind of high school gyms or there's a, another building they've played. But this was like in a hotel. I don't know if you'd even call it a ballroom area. But it had a PWG feel because it was only a couple rows of seats and the crowd was kind of into it. And uh, no, the, the guy that runs the promotion who we're about to hear from, Luke Hawks, really does a good job with the promotion. And again, we'll hear in the interview – New Orleans isn't an easy town to run a wrestling show in today. Now, back in the 70s and 80s, it's a different story. You had wrestlers who were super over here, the Junkyard Dog. I mean, there's rumors that the Houdat chant started because of the Junkyard Dog. You know, he'd be in the dome and people would be like, Houdat, 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 say they're going to beat that dog. And there's all kinds of people who say that that's the origin of that chant, which would be really cool if that's true. <laughs> I really don't know. It's kind of hard to trace origins of that exactly back to where it started but i like the idea that it was the junkyard <laughs> dog because i really like him a lot but new orleans used to be a prominent wrestling town 
back when there were, you know, territories. But since, you know, things have kind of gone under one umbrella, it's not as big as it used to be. And local promotions, there are a couple here, but I feel like Wildcat is the most prominent of all of mm -hmm. them. And Luke does a really good job at running the promotion here because it's not always easy. And we'll hear from him and about the struggles, but also the successes of his uh, wrestling school and wrestling promotion. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Luke. You know, you've got a really cool journey into wrestling. How did you get into wrestling as a fan? And how did that turn into eventually owning your own promotion and starting a wrestling school? Well, pro wrestling was all I ever wanted to do. If you look back at any interview or any podcast or anything I've ever done where I speak about pro wrestling, you'll know that since an early age of three years old, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. So um, as a fan, I'm still a fan. I'm a fan of the product as well. Although nowadays the difference between being a fan and an owner of a production company and you know a wrestling company is I don't have much time to watch outside wrestling. Uh, that's the only unfortunate thing is where I'm more focused on Wildcat and producing our weekly television show. But, I mean, I've always been a big fan of wrestling. Uh, there's a lot of guys I like out there on the independent scene and even in the big leagues, you know, and then like WWE. But there's so much talent on the scene today. So uh, I'll never stop being a fan. And it's, it's, it, but it's a great uh, transition also from being a fan to a wrestler. Well, you're a, a very proud New Orleanian. You, you see it on your tattoo. Yeah. Um, but we've been sort of critical on the podcast that at times New Orleans isn't the greatest wrestling town. You see SmackDown recently. The building was a third full. But then we come to your show, and there's clearly passionate wrestling fans here. So just talk about the wrestling scene here. Well, I think um, the difference is, is when you go to a place like SmackDown or WWE, it's not your typical everyday wrestling fan. Mm -hmm. When you go to a WWE event, it's more like going to the circus that's in town. So mm -hmm. people go just to go, even if they don't watch it weekly, even if they don't, you know, they, they, it's like more of going to a big event for them. Like people don't watch live music every week, but they'll go to Jazz Fest. Uh, as far as wrestling fans go at Wildcat, we don't also have the everyday wrestling fan. We have those fans, and we have the people who don't want to watch the WWE product, they want to watch the more hard-hitting, action-packed product. But what we also have is the local support. There's a lot of people who come because they support what we do locally and because we are from New Orleans. But like you said, New Orleans isn't a big wrestling town. It's not what it used to be. Right. Um, we're trying to change that. We're trying to grow. We're trying to grow from 1,000 people to 2,000 people to 3,000 people and eventually put on bigger shows. We're happy where we're at now, but, of mm -hmm. course, our main goal is to grow. Definitely, and I hope you guys keep growing and keep getting bigger and bigger because I love the promotion. Another thing that I think is unique about New Orleans is, you know, when WrestleMania came here recently, people made a big deal about the Louisiana State Athletic Commission and their rules and stuff, and you kind of were a big part of making sure people got permits and stuff like that. Can you tell us what makes this commission different from other states? Well, there's only a limited amount of states that have athletic commissions. New Orleans, Louisiana in general is one of the stricter ones. Maryland's pretty strict. Um, I believe Kentucky's pretty strict. There's a few out there. there. And then they have some ones that have more leniency like Mississippi. Uh, and there's, you know, commissions are good. Commissions are good and they're bad. Of course, it costs more money to run with a commission. But at the same time, the whole point is to weed out. The, un the, the unfriendly thing, I would say, with professional wrestling, and I'm just going to use the word friendly because I don't want to offend anybody, but... Imagine that, me not wanting to offend anybody, right? Uh, we'll ask about that later. <laughs> look, just to be blunt, anybody can get into professional wrestling. The guy bagging your groceries at Walmart will tell you that he's a professional wrestler. There should be qualifications. 
there should be some kind of test you go through to make sure you're properly trained. Uh, you shouldn't just be able to buy a ring and perform a on a show. You shouldn't be able to just buy a wrestling license and, and get on the event. You should have to go through testing, proper testing, to get a pro wrestling license and to be on events. That's the thing is we need to weed out. And look, I did backyard wrestling when I was a kid. Everybody wants to do it, right? But the whole point is when you step into the ring, you're supposed to be a professional. If you're selling tickets, you're supposed to be a professional. Right. It's not supposed to be, you know, some backyard BS. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's for kids, right? Yeah. We all grow up and we want to be... We'll go to the next level. You're not going to go to the next level if you ain't, if you do not have proper training. The name of your promotion is Wildcat. How did you come up with the name? So um, when I first started Wildcat Sports, it was me and my friend Orlando Jordan. Orlando was a close friend of mine. He had moved to Louisiana because um, he was dating somebody in Baton Rouge. So me and Orlando have always been friends, and he was a hell of a wrestler, especially amateur accomplished wrestler. Um, and obviously in pro wrestling from WWE. So we talked about opening up a school together. Um, we needed a name. So we were, you know, going back and forth on names, coming up with names, coming up with names. And I knew at the time that Orlando used to have uh, his LLC as Wildcat back in the day when he was in WWE, and it was just regular Wildcat. So I had the idea. I said, hey, man, since you just had Wildcat, why don't we name it Wildcat, but call it Wildcat with a K and add sports and entertainment on it because I do the stunts, I do the acting and everything right, right. else. So, and uh, several guys from this company have already branched out into the film business. Jay Spade's done stuff, Chris Harper's done stuff, uh, a couple of new students done stuff, Perry's done stuff. So, you know, they've done movies and, and TV shows, so that's where the entertainment side of it comes in. But And we're, we're a sports company. I think wrestling's a sport. I think wrestling's athletic, so... That's where it came from. So I, I just kind of stole uh, Orlando's uh, old LLC name, changed it, changed it to from a C to a K, so we could be a little original, and throw in the sports and entertainment. And now you got us right here, right here this side. I like the origin of the name, and you also referenced your acting career, which I think is really unique about you. Talk about working in film and how that's been for you in your career. For me, it's been a blessing because I never thought I would see myself as an actor or a stuntman. It's kind of, I don't want to say it fell in my lap um, because I had to work extremely hard to do it and I still work extremely hard for it. But what it did do is the opportunity kind of came to me out of, out of left field. So when that opportunity came, I took advantage of it. I worked really hard. I trained really hard and, you know, continue, you know, today to train really hard at whatever I do and perfect my craft in the, as far as the acting and the uh, stunts go. And I've been blessed, you know, I've been in a lot of great products, projects, and uh, we got some more coming up. We have, um, we got two films, big films coming out this year, a horror film called Wounds, and then a Netflix film with Jamie Foxx that doesn't have a name yet, so that's going to be really good as well. And didn't you do that film alongside, you had that guest appearance uh, with The Rock, where you were like in a prison outfit? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, Fate of the Furious, Fast and Furious 8, so <laughs> yeah, that, Logan, of course, those are some of people's favorites, Into the Badlands. I've been in over uh, 80 films and television shows, so too many to count and name. So you referenced this in the first answer that you gave. You said right now the scene is getting bigger and bigger, not just here in New Orleans, but really all of wrestling. And I think that's because there are a lot of promotions popping up. What do you think about the current climate in wrestling? I think there's so many talented guys and so many um, great promotions that do put on great shows. I, I hate to use the word indie. You know what I mean? Because it, I, I don't mean it to be, uh, I think indie is kind of looked down upon. It's kind of cool and like, oh, you know, it's like a, the cool thing to be, like an independent film, like a really good independent film. But, you know, indie is, is people are making a livings now. 
and they're not they're not really an independent right you're, mm-hmm. if you, you know it, it, you are but you aren't in my eyes if, if you have a solid promotion if you have television if you're running regularly that's not really an independent and independent to me is somebody who's only drawing a couple hundred people who runs every so often and you know there's even good independent companies but i think as a whole wrestling has grown and with the access from the internet right, right now like you can get on anything you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're worldwide. Everybody's worldwide. If you have internet access and you have a website and you have YouTube videos, you're kind of worldwide now, right? Right. You're not just, a, if, if you choose to not have any eyes on you, so to speak, that's your fault. But I'll, I'll go back and answer the first que- the question you asked a minute ago, too, is about, about being in New Orleans. I think that's part of the sad thing, me being openly honest, with Wildcat is... Because we're in New Orleans and we don't get enough eyes on us from the internet world. We put out content, Mm -hmm. but we're not getting picked up and covered by because we're not in Philadelphia, because we're not Los Angeles. So I'm trying to change that and put more eyes on a product that's good out of New Orleans because we're outdrawing majority of these companies. They have Mm -hmm. great companies and, you know elsewhere, mm-hmm. but we're outdrawing them, we're outperforming on them, and, and you know, there's guys like Matt Lancey, like Jay Spade, like Kurt Matthews, Johnny Flex, Buku Dow, these guys can perform at top levels with any top athlete in the world of wrestling right now, so my goal is to put those guys on the map. So you just mentioned a few great names. I've got personal Wildcat favorites, including, of course, Danny Flamingo. Everyone loves him. Oh, he can't. Yeah, but specifically, he he's great. I mean, I mean, I cannot love him. <laughs> well, I can't not love him. He's a wonderful, <laughs> the Shalmation sensation. Just He's so charismatic. But somebody else you referenced by name, Johnny Flex. I'm a big fan. I think he's putting in the work. And he, he doesn't is. look like the normal wrestler, but... No, he looks like you. He's about the same size. <laughs> but he makes up for it, though, in career charisma and character and I love that about him and I've seen a lot of impressive things like he even not only has he been doing great in Wildcat but he trained with Shibata I saw recently all that stuff what do you think about his progress as a coach it's nice to see someone put the work in Johnny Flex has never missed a practice uh there's a lot of guys who make excuses not to be here they're sick their dog died it's their mom's birthday whatever it is Johnny Flex doesn't make an excuse to miss practice he shows up every time he drives an hour and a half away to practice every week wow you know every day every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So um, it's good for me to see a guy like that come out of his shell because when he first came, he was a very timid, small kid who didn't speak, didn't, you know, couldn't do a push-up, never did exercises in his life. And now... He's a member of the Pump Patrol. <laughs> I love that group. I really do. And actually, he was also featured on 205 Live not that long ago right. when WWE came here. I was so excited to see him. And it's just great to see a Wildcat wrestler and someone who I, I think is just so... Awesome. Really get the props he deserves. Him versus Devari. They tore it up. Yeah, they did. And I'm so glad he got that highlight, you know? Yeah. Well, he may be one of your favorites, but we know who your favorite wrestler on Wildcat is. I never said Johnny's my favorite by any means. I appreciate how much training he's done, what he's put in. But he's far from my favorite. Yes. I, I'm going to be a little biased here. Like we P- think we're going to P- ask you about your P- son. PJ Hawks. Yeah. yeah, that's where he's I was my going. Favorite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. I know I'm his father, and it's what you're supposed to say, but anybody who's watched my son in a short time, you've seen how good he is. I he mean, is. Just, just this past week at our Lucha event with uh, me and Perry versus Daga and Bestia. Mm-hmm. Best, you know, these guys have been wrestling a long time, international stars, and Perry went toe-to-toe with him. Mm-hmm. So, and I say Perry, Perry, PJ short for Perry, Perry Julian, but... Um, 
I'm very proud of him, man. And we got so many good things coming in the future. Um, we just started debut at ROW. We have a lot of big events coming up. The whole month of July, we're going to be touring Mexico. Wow. Uh, we're going back to England soon. So, like, it's a blessing to be the first ever full-time tag team with my son. It's so cool that your son and you are tagging together, and it's really impressive that he's made the transition from amateur wrestling to what you guys do now, putting on a show. Uh, talk about that transition for him. Has it been smooth? I mean, you said he's really excelled. Well, the thing with Perry is he's always been a hard worker. Um, he was the captain of his wrestling team all four years. He's, you know, he's a um, multiple-time state champion of freestyle Greco amateur wrestling. Um, he was an athlete at school, so he, he was a cross-country runner. He was the captain of that team as well. But his goal was always to become a professional wrestler. He fell in love with amateur wrestling, and uh, now he actually coaches his high school team. Wow. And uh, he, do, he, wrestles, he wrestles as well outside of that, but uh, amateur style. But he coaches his high school wrestling team. So uh, the transition wasn't very difficult for him because he's been around pro wrestling his whole life. Now he's just focusing on bulking up when and then he was focusing on cutting weight. So it's right. a big difference because when he wrestled, he started out at 132. And then every year he went up a weight class. So his final year, senior year, he wrestled 152. So now he's just trying to focus on, instead of cutting weight, building weight. Yeah, exactly. It's really impressive, and we can't wait to see what he's going to do in the future. Oh, he's going to tear it up, as long as he can stay healthy. That's my goal is to keep him healthy. Well, you said uh, early in the interview you didn't want to offend anybody. I you're, lied. You're, you're I not, lied. You're not a guy who... Uh, you know, bites his lip. If you see something, you, you say something about it, and sometimes it offends people. Just talk about maybe your mindset on, you know, speaking up, speaking out. I mean, it's just my background and where I come from. And I think right now, today, everybody's offended by something, so who cares? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you got something to bitch and complain about always, you're not living life. And, and worry about yourself. Stop worrying about other people. So uh, I've always live by being an honest guy and being a good person and you should be good to one another but you know if somebody's a piece of garbage you should call them out for being a piece of garbage you know what i mean we shouldn't let people skate by and and that, that that that's just in life you know nowadays we live in a world of society where people would rather pull out their cell phones and record something tragic happening than help somebody yeah. and it's a sad world we live in so i think that needs to change you know, that's one of my favorite things about you is that you're so outspoken and you are who you are. And I love that about you. I think it's one of your best traits. And we really thank you for your time. Where can people find more information about you and about Wildcat? So if you want to look at me personally, all my social media is at LukeHawks504, H-A-W-X, at LukeHawks504. If you want to find out about Wildcat Sports, all social media is at Wildcat Sports. That's W-I-L-D-K-A-T. Not cat with a C, it's <laughs> cat with a K. So check us out. Thanks for having me on. Thanks Thank for being you so on. much. We thank Luke Hawks for uh, taking the time and giving us his candor on a lot of uh, subjects, but it's time to move on to Kelsey's favorite segment. Back in my day, video stores told you to be kind, rewind. Well, we're taking their advice, we're kind, and we're rewinding by taking a look back at PWG through the years. It's time for PWG Rewind. <laughs> And we were actually going to talk about a couple subjects in PWG uh, with DiJack going against Keith Lee on NXT this week. We were going to look back at a terrific match in PWG. We're going to save that because it we were going happen. to, yeah, it didn't happen on NXT. It got bumped this week, even though it had been promoted a couple weeks ago. But because of the Tommaso Ciampa situation, they had a fatal five way, which was won, of course, by Adam Cole. So they will face a, a two out of three falls, Gargano, 
versus Cole at NXT TakeOver. So we will get to that Keith Lee Dijak comparison down the road. We will, and I can't wait to. But you know what a lot of those guys in the match had in common? PWG. Yeah. And I was just saying this, especially... Every one of them. Yeah. And one of my favorites in the match, Matt Riddle, had a lot of great PWG matches that we have been watching for a while. He was in a great tag team with Jeff Cobb called the Chosen Bros. He's just incredible. I love the way he kicks out. He just lifts his shoulder. It's so beautiful. And also, I just bought my first piece of WWE merch for the first time in like a year and a half, and it was a Matt Riddle shirt. Well, you've been waiting for a while to have that available. Yep. Now they have one. I'm pretty excited and you about it. Downloaded his theme song, too, I think, right? It's a great theme song. <laughs> well, in addition to him in that match, like you said, all these guys have been PWG. We talked about Ricochet last week and how much different he looked in his PWG days with the ridiculous hair. Uh, Alistair Black used to be known as Tommy End. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrestled in PWG. You know, Matt Riddle, Adam Cole. The only one in that match was Velveteen Dream that didn't have PWG experience, but... He would have been great in PWG, too. <laughs> he really would have been. And um, you know what I say about PWG? You know, there's that faction in Ring of Honor now called the Lifeblood. But to me, the promotion that embodies the idea of Lifeblood is PWG. I feel like it's the lifeblood of good wrestling. It kind of flows in and out of other promotions. It allows wrestlers to be discovered by bigger promotions. And it allows you to see matches you can't see anywhere else. And we'll talk about that specific idea of not being able to see the match anywhere else when we talk eventually about Dijak versus Keith Lee because they did some incredible things in their match against each well, other. Well, you said it last week. These dream matches that are coming together or being talked about, a lot of them have already happened in PWG, and that's what makes PWG awesome. And not only have they happened, but they've happened without having to be held back in any kind of way by any kind of like rules that a promotion like WWE or NXT would have. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this. PWG doesn't have those kind of restrictions, and that's what makes it extra, extra special. It's all about the wrestling. So we'll get to Lee and Dijak uh, down the road. We've got our notes ready for whenever it happens, but uh, we're going to talk about another guy we talked about earlier in the show, Sammy Guevara, a guy that we really kind of, first time we saw him was at Wrestle Circus in uh, Austin, Texas. That's the first time I remember seeing him, and we've, we saw him at PWG when we went there, and he's had some great PWG matches. He's on his way to AEW as well. He was in that Warrior show that we mentioned uh, over the weekend. And he's had some amazing matches in PWG. He really has. And we watched a couple of recent-ish ones. They're not too old. But Sammy's really incredible. High-flying, as you mentioned throughout the show when we've talked about him. He had a great match against Robbie Eagles and Flash Morgan Webster. Again, same old high-flying stuff. And he's been really featured on Being the Elite. But what I think is cool is, kind of like the Young Bucks have done with creating their own YouTube channel and getting over that way, Sammy's done the same thing. And he has a great YouTube channel where he's gotten himself over. Another show I was able to see him on was NWA 70. He performed on that show and oh, yeah. was great. Yeah. And he, he he's got this cockiness that's really good too because he takes it into matches against you know guys his size big guys you know another great match we saw was him against Ishimori uh from PWG that was awesome just a great match uh he hits a shooting star press on Ishimori for the win but his athleticism really shows through in those kinds of matches but then he'll he'll take on big guys uh like Walter like Jeff Cobb 
well, let's, like, talk about how it's funny. He won in the Ishimori match, but a lot of the matches we're talking about he lost in, uh, including the Cobb match and the Walter match. But the Cobb match, I loved. But the stark differences in the match is that, like, in the Jeff Cobb match, it was kind of shorter, and it seemed like Sammy was a really big underdog, and that happened before the Walter match. So, as time went on, he wanted to challenge for the PWG world title. Eventually, he got to do that, like I said, against Walter, and it seemed like they were more on even ground, even though he was getting brutally chopped in the (laughs) Walter match, much like every opponent that Walter faces. They all get insane chops and really feel the wrath of his hand, but... Sammy felt like more of a contender against Walter because he's been rising up the ranks in PWG, and I think he's rising up the ranks in wrestling in general. But let's talk about the Cobb match. It was quick, like I said, but I really, really loved all the crazy spots. There was an awesome spot. This is really just as good from both Cobb and Sammy. Cobb caught Sammy mid-shooting star press to do the tour of the islands to win that match in the end. But some of the things that Sammy did earlier in the match, this was my favorite part. Sammy was in a double wrist lock, so Cobb was holding him basically, holding both his wrists, but then he jumps up onto Cobb's shoulders and hurricanes him. It's insane! Like, the height that that Sammy did when he was on the ground and he jumps up on his shoulders. Well, and in this match, Cobb looked a little trimmer than he does now, uh, but an incredible moment in the match is Sammy Guevara has Cobb on his shoulders and does a couple squats. Two. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then a Samoan drop. Yeah. Unbelievable. The strength there was just incredible. And another cool thing that he did, he got up on the stage and did a corkscrew off the stage onto Cobb. But that was awesome too. Yeah. He he uh, he is hated but respected by the PWG crowd, again, because of his, uh, his cockiness. But uh, he is tremendous. And that match against Cobb was such a... A contrast of styles, but so good. He was hated more in that Cobb match, but then when we fast forward to the Walter match, mm-hmm. he actually won some of the crowd over because his chest <laughs> just was so red and bloody. Like, talk about you made so many comments about his chest. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, Sammy's chest is so red. Walter is one of the biggest choppers there is in wrestling. And so Sammy's not a big guy. And, you know, on the commentary, they're even talking about the fans screaming in horror with every chop that Sammy has taken. But that's kind of how he won the crowd over by taking that abuse from Walter. And, you know, he's an exciting young wrestler. He is exciting, and he did kind of win some of them over. But it didn't stop him from doing the same old Sammy antics. You know, at one point he goes backstage and Walter has to go chase him and bring (laughs) him back out. I forgot about that. He was kind of ducking under the ropes, getting out of the ring, trying to avoid (laughs) Walter's hits and chops at first. Then he couldn't avoid them anymore, and that's when he eventually won them over. But it ended just like it began with more Sammy antics. He flicks off Walter in the middle of the ring and flicks off the crowd and leaves. So I think that's so Sammy, and I can't wait to see what he does in AEW, but I've already loved what he has done in PWG. If you guys aren't checking out PWG, you're missing out, man. Sammy, uh, the the only thing he likes uh, more than flying is flipping the bird, I think. He likes (laughs) to do it a lot. He does like to flick off people, but I think he also just likes himself, like I said. Very egotistical, but it's warranted. He's a great wrestler. So all kinds of great matches from Sammy. If you want to go through the PWG archives, he's been in Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, Just another reason to maybe check out a guy who's going to be in AEW and prominently featured is my guess. 
And so you can kind of get a little background on how good a wrestler Santa Guevara is by watching our favorite promotion, PWG. Yep, I hope you guys take the time and maybe buy some of the DVDs, support the promotion, because with all these promotions popping up, specifically AEW, I don't want PWG to falter and die. No. I want it to live forever. It is my favorite. I do too, because even like the newer shows where, you know, once Keith Lee and Matt Riddle and some of those guys are gone, you're kind of like, all right, who's this guy? Who's this guy? But that's probably kind of how it was with those guys. I mean, so, I mean, that first show with Kevin Steen that we watched last week, I'm sure a lot of people didn't know who Kevin Steen was. Uh, And, you know, right off the bat, he showed how great he was in one of the first ever PW, or it was the first PWG show, or his first PWG show. And it wasn't even the same building. It was in a high school gym. So, yeah, you owe it to yourself to watch PWG. Yeah, I mean, great Keith Lee performances, like, recently, as of last year. Um, So many prominent people. And, like, the newer ones, like you referenced, you can discover people you didn't know about before. And, for some reason, lots of AEW talent all over past PWG, including a recent one, Jungle Boy, who's also a part of the AEW roster. He was in some of the more recent PWG shows. So we'll have plenty more PWG talk uh, in the weeks to come. But now it's time to close out the show and send them home. Kelsey, what do you got? Well, I'm super, super, super pumped up about something I have in store for you guys next week. If you like the Pop and Wrestling Connection where we mix pop culture with wrestling, if you like Boy Meets World and the 90s, you'll love who I'm going to be interviewing next week, the co-executive producer and writer for a lot of episodes of Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World, Mark Blutman. He's going to be joining me. We're going to be talking Boy Meets World. We're going to revisit an old Pop and Wrestling Connection where we talk about the character of Frankie. Vader actually guest starred on a couple episodes of Boy Meets World, and he played Frankie's dad. So we're going to talk about Frankie as a character growing up and having three children who wind up being wrestlers. Who are his children and why? So send in your answers for next week. We'll read them on the show. And also, I'm going to be asking a lot of listener questions to Mark about Boy Meets World. We're going to be talking about his stand-up persona, which is actually a masked wrestling persona that he traveled all around the country doing stand-up comedy with. It's going to be an awesome interview. He has a long fandom with wrestling has been a longtime fan, has seen Andre the Giant wrestle multiple times. It should be fascinating. It should be great. We're going to talk about a multitude of subjects. And connections to wrestling as well. He's got connections, people he knows that are close to wrestling, involved in wrestling. Should be a fascinating interview next week. All right, well, I'm going to send them home with uh, a guy we haven't talked much about and who seems to be, I don't know, lost in the shuffle is the best way to put it, but... One of our uh, favorites and one of your favorite things to say. Braun! I haven't said it in a long, long time. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's because he hasn't done a lot that's been significant. And that's what I'm a little disappointed about. Braun Strowman was hot with the crowd. Still is hot with the crowd. They had him in a championship match against Brock Lesnar. He suffered the injury. And much like, I think, in some ways, kind of like Finn Balor when he came back from the injury... He doesn't have the same momentum with the company. He's still got the same momentum with the crowd, but the company, for some reason, isn't using him. They seem to be building a rivalry between him and Drew McIntyre, and now Drew McIntyre is going to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. So where does that leave Braun Strowman? Well, he's going to wrestle in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. 
Okay, that's fine, but that's on the pre-show. And, you know, he's having now this feud with the Saturday Night Live guys, Colin Jost and Michael Che. Okay, that's fine too, but it's not taking advantage of Braun Strowman and how hot he was and the, you know, cha- the, the great stuff he had with Kevin Owens chasing him around. And, you know, even as funny as this thing was where he tore apart the gift of the car from Che and Jost, I feel like this is a guy that was a top-level performer on the cusp of winning the the universal title, and now he's basically reprising the role of Kane when Kane killed Pete Rose at WrestleMania all those years ago. I feel like that's what's going to happen, that Colin Jost is going to get destroyed by Braun Strowman, and that's going to be more his role at WrestleMania. And to me, that's a disappointment because he's been so much fun to watch from his days when Bray Wyatt brought him in to where he is now. He's an incredibly athletic big man, and I feel like the injury, for whatever reason, has set him back, and uh, WWE seems to have forgotten about how good he is. I don't know if it's just the injury. If you look back at last WrestleMania, like what he was involved with then wasn't even good. Right. So to me, he's, he's turned more into a comedy act, which is a shame because he could have been somebody who was like, really, really high up on the card and more of a a menacing big man, but who could still do some funny moments. Right. But not all funny moments. That's not what I wanted to see from him all the time. That's and, basically what he and Elias have become. Yeah, but Elias is really funny. <laughs> he uh, is. His <laughs> songs are incredible, but he is athletic too, yeah. and they never use him that way. And look. Will he ever wrestle again? Not every well, that's true too. <laughs> not everybody can be featured on WrestleMania, even if it is a seven-hour show with the pre-show. <laughs> you know, it is ridiculous how long it is because they're trying to get everybody involved. But it it feels like they're wasting some talent, uh, whether it's Elias or whether it's Braun. Yeah, that's true. And uh, speaking of a seven-hour show, our show is almost seven hours right now. But we're so glad you kind of stuck with us. And I know it's been a long show, but we had so much fun things yeah. to touch on. And God, a lot of good stuff. Great wrestling going on. We had that awesome interview with Luke. We want to thank him for his time. Guys, check out Wildcat Wrestling. Really a fun promotion. If you aren't familiar, you can check out their shows on Vimeo. You can totally check out what they've been putting out, which I think is a really good thing. Not all promotions have that. And as loaded as this show was this week, we got another big show next week. Uh, As you mentioned, the Boy Meets World interview with the producer. We uh, will have the New Japan Cup uh, semifinals and finals that we're going to discuss extensively. More uh, WWE talk, uh, more of your input. It's going to be another good show next week. Probably not as long and loaded as this week, but... It'll be there. I think it's going to be just as long because I have a feeling this Boy Meets World interview will be long, and I'm looking forward to it so much. So, guys, if you love Boy Meets World, please tune in next week because it's not just going to be talk about Boy Meets World. A lot of it has to do with wrestling because Mark is a huge fan, and he's been following it, like, most of his life, and he's got a lot of cool experiences that he's told me about when we've been chatting, preparing for this interview, and I'm really honored that he suggested that he come on our show. And I think it's going to be a fun little chat. Of course, Paul has nothing to say about Boy Meets World, but that's okay. No, no. <laughs> You'll learn some new things. Yeah, I'll have literally zero to add there. but <laughs> Well, you'll learn. <laughs> yeah. And we want to just thank you guys again for listening to us, for viewing us if you're watching on YouTube. Hopefully we'll have you back next week, checking out what we're going to do then. And thanks so much. We appreciate your time. That's it for us. That's the finish.